Hello, ladies. It's time again for Aunt Penny's true-to-life stories. And here in Aunt Penny's sunlit kitchen, she's just baked off a batch of brownies. Well, that's what they are, then. Certainly look delicious, Aunt Penny. You can help yourself to all you want because they're so digestible. See, they're made with chicken fat. What Aunt Penny says is true, ladies. Anything safe in chicken fat is safe in your stomach. Certainly delicious. Sits in your stomach like a commemorative half-dollar piece. Well, Aunt Penny, we're all wondering what the story is going to be about today. And I'm going to sit back in your old rocker here and... Just listen to you tell the story. It's the story of Miss and Mrs. Calvin Frawley. Mr. and Mrs. Calvin Frawley, where did they live, Aunt Penny? They made their home in a small southern town, not far from Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, that's nice country down that way. And what did Mr. and Mrs. Frawley do for excitement in that small southern town? Well, they decided one summer to take a motor trip to the north, see what it looked like up around Michigan and the Great Lake area. Well, they set out in their late model automobile, and Mr. Frawley turned to Mrs. Frawley. Miss Frawley, what time is it? Well, it's almost 11 o'clock, Mr. Frawley. Well, it won't be long now before we should be stopping for lunch. Up ahead, doesn't somebody seem to be waving something there? Yeah, looks like they're trying to flag us down for some reason. Better stop, then don't you think, Mr. Better pull the car over to the side of the road. All right, mister. Mrs., will you open the window there? Hey, we're tying the road. You what, sir? We're tarring the road. Sir? You can't go up this road because after we put the tar on, we got to put gravel and stuff that'll fly. Hey, Mrs. Fellow says they're tarring the road out here. Can't go any further. We well, ask him what other road we can take. What other road uh, can we take, Mrs. wants to know? Well, I ain't a filling station, pal. I don't know what road. Where are you going? Well, we want to go up around the Great Lake, see some of the country. Great Lake's well, you're about 1,100 miles. I imagine any road north would do it. We must have taken a left where we should have taken a right, missus. What? I say back about 1,100 miles, we must have taken a right. Ask right? him, can we turn around and go back? Can we turn around and go back? No, the tire truck's in back of you, and there's one coming the other way. You're going to meet here in about two minutes. Well, I suppose we got to just stay here, then. Well, you can't stay here unless you want to be covered with tar. Well, we don't want to be covered with tar, do we, missus? No, well, can we drive off through that field? Can we drive off or through that field, Mrs. wants to know? Sure you can. Sir? It's a bog. Says it's a bog. Ask him what a bog is. What's a bog, Mrs. wants to know? Well, they kept talking to this gentleman there who was going to tie the rock. But I'm so afraid that we won't have time to finish that story. Oh, goodness gracious, Aunt Penny. You always have to leave these stories up in the air when they're just at the exciting point. Two tire trucks coming in opposite directions, Mm. soon to meet where Mr. and Mrs. Calvin Frawley were located. Aunt Penny will continue her story of Mr. and Mrs. Calvin Frawley next time, and I'm going to have a couple more of these delicious chicken fat brownies. Take some home to the little ones. Help yourself because they are digestible, made with chicken fat. Here now uh, is a gentleman we'd like to introduce whose work you may have uh, very well have uh, seen in the bookstores, a writer of popular children's stories, Mr. August T. May. Hello, Bob. It is a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, Mr. May. And I wonder just to refresh some of our memories, uh, you could tell us a few of the books that uh, you have written and which have had quite some success. Well, maybe you remember the book I wrote for children. It was a children's book. Yes. The book's title was The Sky Fell Down. I remember that one. My it kids was really a story it. for children. See, Bob, look. I'm wearing a blue suit. I noticed that. This is a new blue suit. Very stylish with narrow lapel. Do I look nice in a blue suit? Yes, you do, Mr. Oh, May. Oh, there, there is my dog Spot. Now, Mr. May, I understand that as a writer of... Uh, will you take Spot out uh, right at the moment? He's... Please, take the dog out. His name is Spot. Thank you for being kind to my dog. He is His a funny is dog. Spot. I love to run and play with Spot yes. in my new blue suit. Well, I'll tell you, Mr. May, what we really wanted to talk about was uh, the job you did uh, during the uh, campaign, the recent campaigns, uh, in the line of helping out uh, a senator that you were uh, working for. Uh, actually, uh, it was... Uh, a representative, representative I was working for, uh-huh. and I was hired to go on children's programs well, he can on see radio it. and on television. Right. Do you know the difference yes, between I do. radio and television? I think we all do. Yes, we know the answer. Well, if we may move along, uh, Mr. May, this uh, representative conceived the idea of getting at the parents via the children yes. and their programs. And so he hired you to uh, write uh, speeches and to go on the kids' shows. And I understand you're going to give us a sample of what you did. Yes. Are you? 
Here then is children's book author August T. May and his political speech. Hello to all my young friends. It is August T. May. I'm happy to be here to talk to you again. I have talked to you many times in my books. Do you remember my children's books? One called The Little Weeping Willow Tree That Cried. I bet you do. Now, I'm going to talk to you on the radio. I would like to talk to you about a nice man. His name is Jack Spratt. He's a very nice man. This nice man would like to go to Washington, our nation's capital, to live for four whole years. Now, when he gets there, and when he lives there, he will make very nice laws for your mommy and daddy. He will make wonderful laws that will lower those big, bad taxes and give money to your mommy and daddy so that they can buy you toys and candy and ice cream. Run now out to the kitchen and tell mommy to be sure and vote for Jack Spratt. He's a very nice I man. I think uh, we get oh, the idea. Oh, there is Gina Lola Bridget there. All I right. must run and play with Mr. Augustine, may a very sneaky way. And how did Mr. Spratt make out? Can you tell us at this time? Both he and I were arrested. I uh, see. It's uh, on an appeal now. Thank you, sir. Now, welcome to the first radio cast in this area of Repulsive Pictures' 1934 box office bomb, Test Dive which starred several British actors. Well, Eddie. What are you doing? Oh, I thought I'd just got a cup of coffee. There's a little... Hey, I was just looking over your physical. I don't know whether you're going to qualify for that dive. Oh, don't tell me that, Harry. No, well, it's not that you're not okay. It's that you've done so many of them. Well, look, there's only one more to be done. That one tomorrow morning... And then I'm putting the down payment on that little white cottage with a fence around it. Madeline was telling me about that. She's a great gal, Harry. I know she is. It's only for her that I'm I'm quitting the air game. Have you thought about what you'll be doing after the dive tomorrow, Eddie? No, just gonna take it easy. Grow carrots, beets, that little garden out back. Play with the kids. I'm awful glad that you've saved your money the way you have. I know that you've always gotten so much enjoyment out of that garden and that home. Yeah, will you hold this uh, cup for me? Yes, sir, that one test dive tomorrow will be the end of a terrific career, and then I'll be starting out on a real pleasant retirement. The chief doesn't know whether you should do it or... Whether I should do it tomorrow. Oh, I don't want you to do it, Harry. Look, this is just routine. I know it's routine, and but you're. Well, I gotta go now. I gotta just get the feel of the ship. Want to go with you, Ed? No, no, I'll be okay. You want to do it alone, huh? See you tomorrow, and thumbs up. Right. Sixteen now, Chief. Right. Ready for the dive. Okay. Hey, you know what? What? You're not too far from that little house at the garden out back. Oh, I don't think I'm not thinking about it, Chief. Well, thumbs up anyway. Right on, Eddie. Here I go. Is got what it takes. Thumbs All right, Eddie. This is an order. Thumbs up, Chief. This is an order. Where did he pull out of that dive? What's he crazy? Come on, pull him out. Remember that little white house, Eddie. Eddie, pull him out. With a picket fence. Pull him out, Eddie. I'm not pulling it out, Chief. 
We'll be back for the climax of Test Dive in just a few moments. First, this reminder that our next broadcast will feature the soundtrack of the 1935 movie, If Pain Persists. Now, back to Test Dive. What a beautiful ship. She flies like a charm. Oh, you wonderful, happy-go-lucky pioneer of the aircraft industry. Now another episode of One Fellow's Family, brought to you as a public service by the Be Kind to One Another Committee. Today's episode, entitled A Message Arrives, is taken from Book IV, Chapter VI, pages IV through VI. As we look in on the family, we see Father inside the foyer. I am standing just inside the foyer. I know. What are you doing out there? Well, I was looking for my rose bush trimmers. Well, they wouldn't be in the foyer. Probably you left them out in the garage. Well, I can't remember where I put them last fall when I finished trimming the roses. They should be around here somewhere. <laughs> Not too early to trim the rose bushes. Why don't you leave the rose bushes alone? Can't you think of anything else to do? The only way we'll get full bloomers, Fanny, to trim them early and often. I know, but you trim them practically down to the nub last <laughs> fall. Hey, wait. Someone's coming up the front walk. Looks like a messenger boy of some sort. He'll be ringing the bell any moment now. Why don't you open it? Yes. You the old man here. I am Father Butcher. I've got a message for you. All right. Do I have to sign for it? Would you please hear right where I made the penciled X? T-H-E-R. B-U-T-C-H-E-R. Have you, uh, forgotten anything? <laughs> you need a tip? That's what I mean, yeah. Tip. No, I didn't forget it. It's a message, Fanny. Ah, I wonder who it could be from. Looks like it's in Jack's handwriting. Well, open it up. I get so nervous when those special delivery letters arrive. That's what it is. It's a message from Jack. What does he say? I haven't read it yet, Fanny. That's peculiar. Both sides of the paper are blank. Sure you haven't forgotten anything? Huh? Anything. Forgotten anything. You mean a tip? Tip, yeah. No. Didn't forget it. Yes, it is from Jack. You never do give tips, do you? <laughs> Listen to this, Fanny. Jack's in San Francisco. Oh, isn't that wonderful news? Jack is in San Francisco. Fanny, Fanny, Fanny. And so concludes another episode of One Fellow's Family brought to you by the Be Kind to One Another Committee. Today's episode, entitled A Message Arrives, was taken from Book IV, Chapter VI, Pages IV through VI. One Fellow's Family is written and produced by T. Wilson Messy. Why don't you uh, read your lines a little better, you old gaffer? Well, our Bob and Ray staff has been busy on fall features for the past week, and one of those which you have requested most is the Webley Webster Book Review, which, of course, has been quite popular in the past. And, Webb, well, I'm looking forward to a fall and winter of great books uh, brought to life in vivid description by you on these weekly visits. You put it real pretty, Bob. Well, as you know, in the fall season, most of the publishers go to work. They get out a lot of books in the fall because people are back inside the house and they live. Webley uh, suggests that people in the fall uh, are ready to settle down and read a good book now. Oh, Bob, well, you don't have to translate for me. Well, people thought, know what I'm saying. Well, maybe it's a little difficult for some That gets my road. I don't know if I've ever told you that. Right, right. I won't But every that. time I say something, you say, what Webley means to say, ladies and gentlemen, well, all right, I they know what I'm saying. Thank you all the time now. Let's get, what book have you got to review for this week? The Fanny Farmer Cookbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, then would have to do with food, and what recipe do you like best about? Well, there's so many wonderful recipes. I think on page 20, though, is the most interesting part of the whole book. Uh-huh. This ship is at sea for about four or five days. Uh, and as we look in on them... Ship at sea for in the Fanny Farmer cookbook? That's right. 
You sure you have the right book? You're reviewing the right one? Look, you mind your business and all my mind. But I see the Wesley Wexler players over there. What are they? They're here to dramatize the, what I think is the most interesting part of the book. So to dramatize the cookbook, huh? Well, I don't remember what to do. All right. Page 48, then. It's shortly after four barrels, and the ship's at sea for about eight days. And we look in and... You sent for me, Captain? Take a look at this here chart. Why, sir? Where? Well, the chart upside down. Why? Oh, You'll keep a civil tongue in your head when you talk to the good captain of this tub. Begging your pardon, Captain. I, I just took a quick glance at the at the chart there. I want you to take a good look at this chart, matey. And tell the captain where we are. Well, if it were me, sir, I'd say we're about... 200 miles south of Hatteras, sir. What do you mean, if it be you? What kind of lingo is that to say to the good captain? Will you ask me, Why sir? Well, you... No. No. Get up off the deck, matey. Try to keep a civil tongue in your head. Now then... Begging your pardon, sir. What be we have to eat? Well, we got some corned beef below, sir. A bit of blood pudding... And some pilot crackers. Why, you... No. That's no bill of fare to recite to the cabin, mate. Now get you out of here. All right, sir. So, that's pretty exciting. That's exciting. Yeah, but... That's a fanny farmer cookbook. Get it at any bookstore, I guess. Hello again, ladies. Once again, we're sitting in Aunt Penny's True to Life sunlit kitchen, all set for another of her famous stories. And Aunt Penny, is there any of that mince pie left? Yes, there is, Danny. I noticed you liked it. Oh, it sure was delicious. Well, anything done in chicken fat, you know it's, it's saturated with fat. Oh, that looks delicious. Yes. Anything that's cooked with chicken fat certainly is digestible. Doesn't sit in your stomach like a half-dollar piece. What Aunt Penny says is true, ladies. You be sure and do all of your cooking, baking, deep-frying with chicken fat. One thing about it, you can eat all you want, Danny. Here, help yourself to some of that I'm pie. going you to have a piece of this while you tell us today's true-to-life story, Aunt Penny. Story of Miss and Mrs. Carlton Hobbs. Yes. And uh, they had a small farm in New England. And uh, they were farmers from way back. In other words, their father's fathers were farmers. They came from farming stock. Yes. And uh, as we look in on them, this is a very interesting story, Danny, and I don't know as we'll be able to finish it all today with the limited time we have. Let's begin it anyway, Aunt Penny. I know the ladies are anxious to hear it. It's an early Tuesday morning as Mr. and Mrs. Carlton Hobbs are sitting in the kitchen. Now, Mr. Hobbs, I might point out, has a very interesting hobby. He likes to tinker. Mimi's a do-it-yourselfer, Aunt Penny. That is right, and he helps all his neighbors. Well, as we look in on him now, we find that one of the neighbors is about to knock at the back door. Now, Miss Hobbs seems to me like it's been a long time since one of the neighbors has knocked at the back door and asked me to help him out doing something. There's hardly anything left for you to fix, it seems well, like. Well, that's right. I've fixed just about everything here in Centerville. Mm, yes, I know. But you're such a wonderful neighbor, Mr. Hobbs. Well, I try to stick my nose in as many people's business as I can. But you do a wonderful job, and I've heard everyone in town I think somebody's talking. at the door now, Miss Hobbs. Yes, I believe you're right. Yeah. Well, I'll go open the door. Oh, hello there. Is the old man in? Yes, he is. Can I talk with him for a minute? Well, yes. Who is it, Miss Hobbs? Someone wants to see me? Hello, want me to fix up something for him? I don't know. Somebody wants to talk to you. Well, bring him on in. Well, I hate to come in here with my muddy shoes well, like this. Ain't you lawyer Clayton? How do you do? Yes. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, Mr. Hobbs, I hate to come in on you this way. It's but... all right. Any friend of mine's a friend of mine in Centerville. Well, look, something went wrong. Centerdale, whatever the town is. Bill, it's Centerville. Centerville. Hey, look, something went bad down in my house, sir. Well, I hate to traipse around this way with these boots. I hope you'll excuse well, me. You know what I'm here for. Oh, that's, that's all uh... right. He can clean it up. I'm supposed to like help to my neighbors. No. Well, that's fine. What's that? I say, I'm, what I'm here for is to help my neighbors. I wonder, could you climb in my carry-all with me and go back to the house? Sure, be glad to. The pipes have all let go. There's okay. water all over the cellar. Well, I get my tool, kid, I'll be right with you. Fine. Hold down the fort, Miss Hobbs. Well... I'll be gone all night. He was gone all night. Will you dry up, actor? Oh, yeah. He was gone all night. 
And he was gone for an entire month. Well, goodness gracious, Aunt. An well, entire month. Call the police, and it was quite an interesting he story. He off more than he could chew, Aunt Penny. He surely did, and I hope you'd care to Speaking of that, I'm going to have another bite of this <laughs> mince pie. Well, we'll finish that story next time. Meanwhile, ladies, do all your cooking with chicken fat. It's digestible. <laughs> Now, Fink Bicycle Clips. Fink, P-H-I-N-Q-U-E. The bicycle clips made to keep your trousers from being caught in the bicycle chain as you pedal brings you another episode of Matt Neffer, Boy's Spot Welder. Today we join Matt Neffer and his friend Todd after a busy day at the foundry in Matt's expensively appointed apartment. We hear... Over here, Matt, in the foyer... Well, just a minute. You call me Matt. I, I'm sorry, Todd. I'm all confused. I, I don't know whether I'm coming or coming, and I'm so thoroughly mixed up. I, you've had so much on your mind lately, Matt, that coming or or, or going, going, Todd. You've just been able to get to work on time and haven't been able to think about anything. Over here, back at the duck press. I know you've you've been worried about this whole thing, Matt, but you know that every crowd has a sober... Silver, uh... Every... Silver, uh... Behind every cloud, there's a a silver... Spoon. Uh, No. Uh... Over here, by the bookcase. Oh, yeah. Lining. 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 Right. Every cloud has a silver lining, Matt. And if you look on the bright side of things, I'm sure you'll... You'll discover that into each life, a little... uh, Into each life, a little... uh, Out here in the kitchen, looks like rain, Todd. A little rain must fall, yes. Clouding up there, I noticed, the south. That that drain, I suppose I should call the superintendent. Of course, I've been carrying on my experiments. My Matt. experiments here in the kitchen, Todd, and probably has clogged up the drain somewhat. Well, at least you've had the foresight to get the experiments out of the way before the big work at the foundry. And that drain. Off. You know, of course, that a stitch in time saves saves. Say, Todd, do you have Bertha's address? Nine Sparrow Road. Nine. Stitch in time saves nine, uh, Matt. I was trying to think of. Todd, I don't know how to break this to you, but I think it's time that you be told. Uh, You mean you're going to tell uh, me what's been on your mind all these weeks? What's been preying on your conscience, perhaps, or keeping you from... Getting your mind on your... I, I haven't had a night's sleep just thinking... Wait a minute. Getting your mind on... On it. On uh, getting your mind on your... Uh, oh, uh... Work, work. Getting your mind on your work. Work, but it's, uh... Oh. oh. You have a memory as long as a... Uh, as long as a... Oh. Uh, uh, as long memory as Memory as long as... Matt certainly is in a state of upset, but over what? And will he be able to tell his friend Todd what it is? Be sure and join us next time when we'll hear Matt say, I'm sick. In the next episode of Matt Neffer, Boy Spot Welding King of the World. And now, chocolate cookies with white... They've canceled? As a sustaining feature, here now, another episode of Lawrence Spectenberger, Interstellar Officer Candidate. In our last episode, Lawrence and Mug had just received their diplomas and were about to be given their first assignments. Now in the dormitory as we hear... Well, what do you think, Mug? Here we are, lieutenants now. Yeah, I feel pretty proud of these bars, Fechtenberger. Well, I guess 
I'm pleased that you finally earned them. <laughs> I had some misgivings at first, but I've noticed you haven't sneered in at least two weeks now. Funny, we were the only two to graduate Fechtenberger. Well, the others didn't apply themselves. And unfortunately, Jed Ordway, too, was washed out. Well, shall we open up our sealed orders for our first assignment? Kind of an auspicious occasion. I wonder if you and I will draw the same assignment. I wonder if we'll draw the same assignment, Fechtenberger, or whether we'll have different ones. We'll know in just a minute. What the deuce. Look at here. I'm assigned to Bedford, Massachusetts. And me to Walpole. How do you figure that? I thought we'd be out in some planet. Yeah. Looks like a land job to me. Yeah, we've been grounded, Fechtenberger. Maybe we better go see the dean. Maybe there's been some mistake. Let's see if the commandant has any information. Down these stairs, Fechtenberger. Through this door. Through this door, Fechtenberger. No. Now, this next flight of stairs. Has the commandant moved his office? No, it's just that our dormitory is so high, that's all. Wonder if this is the door. I think there's another. This is the right door, yeah. Well, wait, we went by it. Let's go back up oh. through that door there. Oh, yeah, it's this one here. Now, just up this small flight of stairs. through this door here. And I believe it's up to that landing there, isn't it, Fechtenberger? I'm getting pooped. Couldn't we have telephoned the commandant? Here's the door here. Better rap before we go in. It's not his office. It's just a huge auditorium. Clear across this auditorium, I think. Let's run across. Right. Hey, come down, Fechtenberger. What are you going up there for? I thought his office was up here. No, it's over here. Come on back down here. Now, should be behind this door that says Commandant. Yes? Is the Commandant in? What will he be here for? Well, it said Commandant on the door. No, no, this is just where we stoked the fires. You're in the wrong... The Commandant's way across... Across and up? Across and up, in the other building. Okay, thanks very much. Sorry. Let's go. Do you think we ought to stop for lunch, Fechtenberger? I'm pooped, Mellish. Let's sit down. And so Lawrence and Mug are in a quandary as to what their first assignment means. One, to Bedford, Massachusetts. The other, at Walpole. Be sure and join us next time when we'll hear Lawrence Fechtenberger say... You heard right, Mellish, and it's all your fault, too. We've been... We've been grounded. In the next episode of Lawrence Fechtenberger, Interstellar Officer Candidate. And now... Another episode of One Fellow's Family, brought to you by the Be Kind to One Another Committee. Today's episode is entitled Great Excitement, and is taken from book XXI, chapter IV, page 12 through 16. It's shortly after 9 a.m. now, and we find Father standing in the back entryway. Beautiful, beautiful day, Fanny. Sky is blue overhead. Liz is busy in the kitchen. White, fleecy, cubulous clouds. She will answer. Float. Carrying off. All right, announcer. We're into the dramatic portion. What were you saying? I couldn't hear you with the announcer. Yes, Eddie is commenting on the weather. Blue sky, my word, it's beautiful out. Yes, it's a warm day for this time of year, too, even on the Pacific coast. Yes, it certainly is. Yes, not a sign of fog anywhere. No. In fact, the gulls are flying over the inlet. What is? The gulls are flying over the inlet. That's unusual. Almost warm enough for a picnic, Feli. Oh, this would be no time for a picnic. I think you're getting a little soft in your dotage. 
Do you remember the letter we got from Jack last week? Pick, pick. What? I say, do you remember the message from Jack saying he was returning to San Francisco? I do vaguely remember something about that. I didn't uh, remember too much about it. Should have been able to get here from San Francisco at this time. I'm becoming very odd myself. Here, we should be hearing something from him soon. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a car coming up the drive now? I didn't hear anything. Must be my imagination. I could have sworn I heard a vehicle. Well, I didn't hear anything. Let's not have an argument over it. Just because I don't hear a car come doesn't mean a car doesn't come. Well, at any rate, we should be having some early morning excitement soon. Yes. Real excitement. You've been listening to another episode. I don't know of, uh, what the great excitement's going to be, Fandy. Look, buddy. But we'll discover soon. Buddy, eh? that part's all over. Well, now you it's talk me. to our dramatic portion, we can talk to your announcement. I don't know. Eh? I don't know how old you are. The whippersnapper. One of these days, I'm going to knock you right through the control room window. Eh? I'm taking all the nonsense from you, fella, that I planned it. Read the commercial. For the free booklet, How to Be Kind, send your requests to. Be kind to one another, committee. Kind indeed. <laughs> Care of Lefty Flanagan. Box 1135, Guam Island. I'll box his ears. <laughs> Close $1,100 in stamps, please. Now, listen. If you interrupt me once more, <laughs> not only you, I'll but go right to Lady Ann. I'll go right It's now to Dover Foxcroft, Maine, and radio's Wally Ballou who has another industrial report. So come in, please. Wally Ballou. Dover Foxcroft, Maine, where we're visiting at the Ace Bullfighter Cape Manufacturing Company, and we're speaking right now with the owner of this uh, establishment. How do you do? I'm Matthew Ted Weldon. Ted, if we may call you that, how long have you operated this factory that makes capes for bullfighters? Well, I started it on a shoestring, more or less. Uh, right after I separated uh, honorably, I might point out from the service, uh, with a GI Bill, I opened up a bullfight tape manufacturing plant. Seems uh, a little bit off the beaten track to be manufacturing these here in Dover Foxcroft, but I guess you ship them all to Mexico and that sort of place. Mexico and uh, Spain, uh, they use a lot of them. I understand you've just opened up a new outlet in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. That's right. Well, that's where we put the trimming on. Up here we make just the cape. Down there they put the fancy work on it. I have uh, 60 men employed here, and I have just 12 ladies putting the fancy stuff on them down in uh, Providence. Well, how did you uh, happen to decide that this was to be your life's work, what you wanted to go in for? Well, I don't know. Uh, It just hit me one day uh, what to do. I had a whole life ahead of me. And I started to write down a list of papers what I'd like to be. Doctor, lawyer, cape maker, shoemaker, automobile manufacturer, owner of several banks. And I checked over and talked it over with my family, and we decided I'd be a cape maker. Well, you certainly have a bright array of them here. They're all sorts and types. Do you make them different sizes for different size bullfighters? Yes, that's right. You you take a six-foot-two bullfighter. Can you take one of these down and hold it up to the radio audience? Certainly, there it is. Now, you'll notice this is made from extruded rayon. Uh, We put the wet, gooey rayon uh, through a process. Here, you hold it. What are you doing there? Well, you said to hold it, and I just well, came I, away in my hands there. Well, that's, that's a $65 job you just tore there. With well, fancy work, it would be $85. certainly didn't mean to ruin a finished piece of merchandise like this. This here, if you'd be careful from now on, right. Mr. Ballard. Uh, over here, uh, this one is made from uh, just plain extruded sackcloth. And uh, that's probably for the fellow who's just starting out bullfighting. That's right, the fellow who doesn't want to spend too much uh, money until he knows whether he can fool them their bulls. Uh And uh, there's no sense in going out there and having an expensive cape torn the ribbons by an angry bull. The fellow who'll buy the expensive ones is the fellow who knows his way around a bull ring. I guess you're right there. uh, Nick, I'm right there. Nice talking to you, Ted. And uh, all good luck in the future with uh, your business. 
Well, if you want to talk to the ladies down in Providence, you can take your equipment down there. Thanks again. Ray, did you uh, notice that familiar figure outside there trying to get in? Where have I seen him before? <clears throat> you know who it is. It's Captain Parker Gibbs, the fish for Thanksgiving man. Oh, he must be out of work by now. Uh, uh, come on in through the swinging door there, here, Captain, Captain Gibbs. Captain Gibbs had an idea that he was yeah. going to try to uh, get the public educated to serving fish for Thanksgiving. How are you, Captain? Pretty good. You can <clears throat> skip all that now. Well, I thought so. Uh, it was such a flop. That was a <clears throat> true flop, as you say. I've uh, forgotten that. I've been uh, hired by another group. And... Oh, you've left the fish uh, industry, have you? That's right. Of course, the fish hasn't left me entirely, has it? <laughs> oh, no, I got wind of that. Uh, what, what, who well, you... of course, uh... Who are you connected with now? I'm with the Pizza Institute of America, Bob. I see. And uh, we're out now to try to educate the public uh, to bring them around to serving pizza for Christmas rather than the traditional turkey. Well, Captain Gibbs, uh... Well, you know, I know. there are 17 varieties of pizza. Yes. All the way up from the plain, up to mushrooms and... Uh, anchovy. Anchovy. You can put almost anything on them. Sausage. Uh, sausage. Sausage, yes. Uh... But look, you, you, these and things you've been associated that, with... Uh, people been... like pizza. <clears throat> uh, why, but people uh, do, the, but for uh, Christmas, uh, it isn't... It's like fish for Thanksgiving. It isn't a, a practical thing uh, to... Well, it can be served piping hot, and uh, you can have as many pizzas as you want, depending on how many people you're entertaining at your festive table. And uh, you can drink almost anything with pizza, water and milk and coffee, or... Anything else? Any of your other beverages? <laughs> well, I don't know. We're happy to... But it is festive. It's holiday. You can color a pizza so that it has more festive meaning than a brown turkey. Put it that well, way, Buster. all right. But whoever ate a green pizza, I mean, <laughs> couldn't want to do that either. You could, of course. Yes. But there are many wonderful, harmless food dyes on the market now. Well, it wouldn't be too appetizing, I don't think, Captain. I wish you could direct your energies to something a little more... Uh, well, all I'd like practical. to say is uh, just... Uh, let the idea out. Uh, let the people think about it for a while. We'll see how it goes over. Well, think okay. of pizza for Christmas, you will you, it. friends? Captain Parker Gibbs from Gloucester, Massachusetts, and now back inside. Now, instead of a traffic report and stock market thing and all that, we bring another episode of One Fellow's Family. Today's episode, entitled "Garage Double." Or rather, Garage Trouble, is taken from Book V, Chapter II, page 235. As we look in on the family now, we find that Mother... Well, Sandy, I finally got the rose bushes trimmed. Well... Just in time, too. It looks like snow. Hmm. Yeah. Say, we didn't have one rose this summer, didn't we? Well, that's what comes of trimming them too close, like I did last year. Well, what? why don't you let them be... Yeah. They're so small now, you prune them almost even with the earth. I thought I might call up the rose hybridizer and find out just whether I'm doing it right or wrong, Sandy. I forget what kind of roses those are out there. Well, they're some kind of... Well, didn't we roses. have the Reza Stevens rose there one year? Well, all I can remember is the Bob Perkins rose. That was a beauty. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we'll get any message from Jack today. I don't know, but didn't we have a wonderful holiday, though? Yes, it was a very delightful. More I think of it, in the weekend of following was so exciting. All of the children were here, Hanky and Panky, yeah. Dinky and Blinky. And Blinky. And Blinky, the twins. <laughs> I used to have the whole family, <laughs> the whole family together yeah. for Thanksgiving. Well, it certainly will be quiet this week. You got a cold coming no, up. Smoke of some kind, Fanny. You smoking, Fanny? I haven't smoked for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, well uh, this will be a quiet weekend compared to last. It could be, Fanny, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put my rose trimmers away. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I'll Where's just... the door to, to the cellar, Fanny? It's right over there by the back yeah. entryway. I think maybe I'll go out and check the garage for trouble. I think... This is... Where is all this smoke coming from? It's coming from the garage, Fanny. So 
Somebody left the radio on with all that fool noise. I'll go turn off the radio. <laughs> and you go see if there's any garage trouble. You've been listening to One Fellow's Family. <coughs> Brought to you instead of a traffic report and a stock market roundup. <coughs> Stuff like that. Studio full of smoke. Today's episode entitled At the Seashore, or rather, Garage Trouble. Which was the episode? Garage Trouble, did sir? Garage Trouble, <coughs> taken from one of the books that T. Wilson Messy has. I can't read my notes. It's too smoky in here. Messy production. <laughs> Once again, hello, ladies. This is your true to life announcer, Danny. All right, Danny, now. Danny's true to life kitchen. What answer? Danny, I want you to cut it short because the last time you talked so much, I couldn't finish my story. Well, I just like a handful of these cookies, Aunt Well, Penny. take them, Danny, and dry out. Now, what's our true to life story about today? Today's story about Ms. and Mrs. Lawrence Hedges. And Penny, do you mind oh, if I raise the shade? It's a little. Oh, Danny, now don't get going on that shade again. I do want to tell the story about Mr. and Mrs. Lawrence Hedges. All right. Well, Larry, he was called. He worked for the railroad. And he decided one day he and the missus would go east. And rather than take the railroad, they thought they'd drive off in their new automobile. This is many years ago, and they had a whippet. And they get in the whippet. Did that make it go better, Aunt Penny? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, Danny, we won't have time for those puns. Now, let me get along with the story. Well, Mr. and Ms. Lawrence Hedges departed from their home in Mason City, heading east in their whippet. Right outside of town was the great coursing river known as the Big Stream. And as they started to cross over the stream... Say, Mrs. Lawrence Hedges, does this bridge look safe to you? Yes, it does, Mr. Hedges. doesn't to me. It's kind of waving in the breeze, kind of like, oh, Mrs. Hedges. don't seem to be waving any more than any other bridge would wave in the breeze. No, but see how the cables... Keep your eye be... on the road rather than looking at the cables. If you don't mind, we do want to get east, don't we, to Metropole to visit our neighbors? I know one thing, though, Miss Lawrence Hedges. I wish we were on the other side of this bridge instead of right in the middle of it. I'd feel a lot safer on dry land than I do here in this automobile driving over this little shaky bridge. Well, do whatever you want to do, Hedges. I don't care. I'll just sit here. Well, we've come so far, we might as well proceed to the other side, Miss Hedges. Danny, Mr. Hedges, he managed to save himself. Sounded like the bridge gave away. What happened? The last he saw was Ms. Hedges on the top of the whippet going downstream faster than they were going when they were driving it on dry land. Well, that certainly was. He could swim. Fortunately, he saved himself. And that's about it. Well, that was a wonderful true-to-life story, Aunt Penny, and I know that all the ladies will be anxious to hear your next one. Yes, and if Mrs. Hedges is listening, won't you write and tell me how you were saved? And that's about it, ladies. Time's up, Aunt Penny, and until next time, she says... If anyone knows how that dear lady ever made out and all that trouble floating down the river and all, I wish they'd let me know. And this is Danny saying so long, ladies, until oh, next time. Oh, dry up. What a windbag. Honestly. Fink Bicycle Clips, to keep your trousers from being caught in the bicycle chain as you pedal, presents another episode of Matt Neffer, Boy Spotwilder. Matt, with his friend Todd, today is seated in Matt's apartment. The shades of evening draw nigh as we hear... Look here, Todd, this letter in the morning mail from Arizona. I'm I'll... in the den, uh, Matt. Oh. Come out here a second. You said something about a letter? I'm in the den now, Todd. I'm sorry. Funny, I didn't pass you on the way in. I went around the other way. Hmm. What letter are you speaking about, Matt? Letter here that came in the morning mail. For this Arizona. letter written on paper with an envelope postmarked Arizona. Mm-hmm. I haven't opened it yet because I wanted you to be here when I did. Hmm. Well... What... What is it... I mean, what... In, inside the... Out here in the kitchen, Todd. Oh, yes. Bring the letter out here. We'll steam it off. Maybe but, this is something for the FBI. But why steam it open, Matt, when you don't know what's inside? 
Well, I mean, if you knew what was inside, there would be some... I'm not sure that this letter was meant for me. But it's addressed to you. No, I mean, your see name. the name. Why, it says Matthew Neffer. No. But now, hold it up to the light. What does it say? Dear sir. <laughs> well, is that me? There's nothing strange about that, Matt. You're reading the letter inside the envelope. By holding it up to the light, you can read the words on the paper inside. But the letter is addressed to you. Out here! Out here on the back porch, Scott. All right. What were you saying? I was saying that you were reading the letter inside the envelope. Oh, well, then I'll just tear it open and read it. That would seem to me to be the easiest way. Your hands are shaking, Matt. I'm nervous, Todd. I wonder uh, who it's from. Do you know anybody in Arizona? No, but there's a chance that I knew somebody and then they moved to Arizona. There. Now, let's see what it says. And so our story becomes more interesting with each passing day. Here is a letter. A letter from whom Matt does not know. A letter from someone in Arizona which begins, Dear Sir. What does it mean and what part will it play? Be sure to listen next time when we'll hear Matt say, There's plenty of paper in here, Todd. In the next episode of Matt Neffer, Boy Spot Welding King of the World. Audience, can you guess that tune? All right, if you can... Stop that tune. We're here to play a big game with you today. We're going to play music, and if you know it, you'll push a buzzy. Okay, here's our first contestant to run both lengths of the studio, up and then back. Are you ready, ma'am? Yes, I'm ready to go. sneakers on there? You betcha. Okay. All righty. When you hear the bell ring, go. All right. And here we go. And I'm off. Ring the bell. Ring the bell. There you are. All right. What was the name of that song? What? What's the name of the song? That's the whole object of the game, man. You don't just run back. But I thought I just if I ran up and and hit the bell within a certain length of time. No, you have to do that. Well, I couldn't listen to the music and run. All right, you want to try again, or are you pooped? I'm awfully pooped, but I'll try it again. All right, here we go. When you hear the bell sound, start out and listen to the music this time. Here we go. Okay, uh, pay attention now. Don't forget the tune this time. That's the big thing. I'll back. I'll ring the bell and come back. Come on. Okay. Well, now you look as if you know the answer. T for two. T for two is right, and you win the chance now to I'm go sorry, on I'm to sorry. our next Clayton, big money. Clayton Bud. I'm what? Sorry, but I think the song is wrong. We're checking with the judges now. Well, I'm sure we'll that was T for two. A baby orchid flown in from Hawaii for. Good luck. Oh, they're telling me it wasn't Tifa, too. I'm sorry, ma'am. It was my mistake. I was sure it was. Well, what do I get? A baby orchid flown in from Hawaii. A baby orchid flown in from Hawaii. That's right. After I run up and down the length of this stage and make a fool out of myself? That's right. That's your prize. And uh, thank you very much for being with us here today and trying to discover what the tune is. My word. Where do I go now? Right over there. And be sure you join us next week to play What the Tune Is on this program. Your sanitation department in action. My name is Reginald Daddle Poop, Jr. My job, keep the city clean. Keep the city streets clean. Each day, my partner and I pick up garbage and trash that people throw out. One morning last summer... We were rolling down 2nd Avenue in a great big truck, and... Hey. Yeah, Sam. Oh, Fred. It's kind of gamey. Well, it's a warm day. Got your lunch with you? Yeah. Got it in the glove compartment. <clears throat> Gee, I hate to pick up stuff from a fish market on a day like this. Boy, this traffic is miserable, isn't it? What do you I hate this traffic. Who'd be eating fish on a day like that? Yeah. Well, I guess the fish markets go on and on. Yeah, it's the 
hum of a big city, the activity that has to go on to keep the city moving. Sure like to get back on Grand Central again. Just stabbing papers. That was a good run, Fred. Boy. Remember I used to get home by 4.30, play with the kids, take a quick dip. Now it's 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. The lights used to be staggered along here, didn't they? Yeah, it seems like. Well, There's a red light here. we got to stop. It's a stop anyway. Who's got Any gonna... garbage today? It's your any turn garbage? to heave the barrel, Fred. Any garbage, sir? Oh, he doesn't have any garbage. Thing looks empty. Let's Lights roll. turn green. Let's go. Let's roll. He must have about half a load by now. We can't go back with half a load, huh? No, the chief would really blow us off. Here's a trash can. Pull up here. Whose turn is it to hurl a barrel? I'll jump down. Hey, do you need an umbrella? What do you mean? It's not raining. No, it's a pretty good umbrella. Okay. It's got one hole in it. I'll take it. Sure. Throw it up here in the treasure box. You wear eleven and a half shoe, don't you? No, nine and a half. Nine and a half? Any of the kids wear these? Yeah, my oldest kid does. Yeah, they're curled up. They've been wet. But they dry out, they'll be okay. I'll take them. Sure. Here. And what's that over there? That looks pretty good. Tie. Oh. But it's the old-fashioned kind, the wide kind. Yeah. No need to wear the wide ones anymore. No. Heck with it. One thing I like is narrow ties. Narrow ties and horizontal stripes. That's for me. Don't find those in the rubbish cans anymore. Hey, here's a wicker basket. It's got a hole in it, too. In fact, it's got no bottom at all, Fred. Probably grow flowers or something in it. Yeah, I'm making a nice plant. Yeah, take it. Put it in. Well, let's roll. And so once again, your sanitation department men, in action, have presented another little-known side of their lives. Be sure and listen to the next episode when we'll hear Fred say... Are you hungry? On your sanitation department in action. Where is the gentleman who was picked just before we went on the air by our assistant Wilbur Conley, young squared who works for us? I do. What, uh, why were you selected, sir? Would you tell us? Because I know the standings of all the minor league baseball teams as of this date. Do you uh, want to rattle them off uh, before we... Texas uh, League, Dallas, Houston, Fort Worth, San Antonio, Tulsa, Shreveport, Austin, and Oklahoma City. Well, that's as of uh, today, Tuesday. Southern Association, Atlanta, Birmingham, Memphis, Mobile, New Orleans, Nashville, Chattanooga, Montgomery, in that order. Well, you really have a wealth of uh, baseball information. I don't know the, Amer- the American League, though. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you concentrate uh, more on this than uh, on the uh, American National League? it's just a quirk in my nature. Mm-hmm. Where, where's your home, uh, Ed? Right what, here in New York. What is your name? Ed. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've made it a practice to to uh, study up on statistics, have you? No, it's just that I uh, just got, like to rattle off the standings of the minor leagues, that's all. I do it at the slightest provocation. Well, like, where would you have an opportunity? Would, does Fox anybody leaves, ever uh, ask subway you? stations, uh, you find it You find it pretty easy to get a seat on a bus if you start rattling these off? Yes, I can clear the bus pretty quick. I get on the bus and stand up there where you put the coin, I say... Indianapolis, Denver, Omaha, Minneapolis, and they all think they're on our crowd. <laughs> <laughs> they all jump off, and sure. I have to bust by myself. Sure. I suppose the driver would get a little bit upset at that, Well, too. I've even known drivers to get off. Mm-hmm. But, of course, they went for a cop. <laughs> yeah, but uh, this way, have you accumulated quite a few buses? No. No, yourself? I wouldn't want to become involved in anything like that. That would be, be a little shady. Shady, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you enjoying yourself today? Yeah? Yes, very much. Good. Well, what do you think of... Schenectady, Binghamton, Reading, Allentown, Albany, Syracuse, Williamsport, and Johnstown, in that order. Eastern League. I'm going to step outside. Uh... Where are you going? Well, you cleared the studios, but I'm concerned. Well, I don't know what to say. I'm here all alone, except for that fellow over there. Once again, with his very appropriate theme, recorded by his uh, wife, here from the Lackawanna Field Station is Bob and Ray Agriculture Director, Dean Archer Armstead. Dean, uh, who have you brought along with you today? I have brought along with me a gentleman here I'd uh, like you to meet. Yes, This sure. is uh, 
Mr. Benjamin Flaway. How do you do, Mr. Flaway? And uh, he... yourself, without uh, planning uh, it, we are, uh, the gizzard operates but... pretty quiet. Oh, just a moment, Benjamin. Listen. Would you, would, now, would, would you stop that, please? Uh, I'm afraid we're a little ahead of ourselves. Uh, I understand that today your subject is poultry, is that right? And particularly chicken gizzards. Chicken gizzards. And you're going to answer foul questions sent in to you from our listeners, are you? Uh, that's right. I've had uh, over a period of several months now almost uh, 20 foul questions submitted. And uh, I thought today would be a good day to answer them. Well, all right. Now, what uh, is Mr. Farway going to have to do with this? His name is Farway. 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 What will he do? What, what's he he has a demonstration here of chicken gizzards. Listen, well, uh, maybe Benjamin could best explain it himself. All right, go ahead. Put the microphone on uh, over there. But with any gizzard, the function is the same. That's right. Mm -hmm. To crush feed into fine particles for assimilation into eggs and meat. That's right. Mm -hmm. By itself, without granite grit, the gizzard operates pretty quietly. That's right. Listen. Do you always talk this slowly, or...? Yeah. He's he's useful, though. Hear that swishing sound? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a gizzard. That's a gizzard. That's a gizzard. But that's a gizzard that isn't working properly. That is the actual sound of a chicken gizzard crushing mash, but with no granite grit present to help break down the mash particles for more complete digestion and assimilation. Oh. Now listen to a chicken gizzard grinding a ration of grain with hard granite grit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Keeps the stuffing out of it. Oh, yes. On this demonstration, uh, he had an awful lot of mic hum. Yes, but uh, it gets the point across, I think. All right, Benjamin, I want to thank you very much for coming by. There's a sound of a gifted... It's really mashing up the feet. Thank you very much, Dean, and uh, our thanks, too, to Benjamin Furnish for bringing in the uh, Chicken Gizzard record. I know it's added a great deal to your uh, agriculture talk today. And so until next time, for our next visit with Dean Archer Armstead, it's so long. And now, chocolate cookies with white stuff in between them brings you another episode of Lawrence Fechtenberg, Interstellar Officer Candidate. Five, three, two, four, one, zero. Commencement day at the Interstellar Officer Candidate Space Academy. And time for the passing out ceremony. In the hall outside the assembly room. O'Mellish. Surprised to see that you're graduating this year. I brought my marks up at the last minute, Fechtenberg. Congratulations, Mellish. I didn't think that you'd be with us. I didn't think you'd get your bars today. I didn't. Berger? Well, let's go on inside. It must be time for the ceremony. I suppose you feel honored to be walking with me, the valedictorian of the class, eh? Honored, Fechtenberger. <laughs> you're not, eh? You'll see. Well, Mellish, when you become a lieutenant, I hope you won't continue to sneer. I'm staring right now, Fechtenberger, and I intend to keep it up. That attitude will get you nowhere. Well, it's got me through the Interstellar Space Academy, Fechtenberger. Once you're an officer in the Interstellar Army, you cannot sneer. Well, here's my seat. Right next to Jet Ordway. My seat is way down front. Hello, got... Jet. Hello, Mark. I'm surprised to see that you're graduating. Yes, I was telling Fechtenberger I had pulled my marks up at the last moment. A real lunkhead like you, I don't think should be commissioned. <laughs> you still have a neat sense of humor, Jet. I mean that, and you know it, Mellish. Hey, wait, I think the valedictorian speech is about to begin. My name is Lawrence Fechtenberger. <laughs> I'm your class valedictorian. <laughs> I have a few words. I'd like to pass along to my fellow graduates today. Doesn't it seem funny that there's only three of us graduates? As you know, we now go out into the world. You? Into a larger world than man has ever known before. Fechtenberger. Where people at one time were limited to highways and oceans and brief flights in the air. (laughs) Look at the dean. We now fly from planet to planet. Oh, my. The whole world has become... 
Well, just like a small town. Hey, Jack, come on. Let's get out of here. Yeah, this really is a... Oh, it's dog. And so Jet, Mug Mellish, leave Lawrence Speckenberger as he addresses the junior members of the Space Academy. Be sure and join us next time when we'll hear Lawrence say... And here in the final five pages of my speech, which I have written here, as you notice, single space, I think I can sum up... In the next exciting episode of Lawrence Speckenberger, Interstellar Officer Candidate.